Well, this month, we're going to be talking about generosity. We're going to do that in the services, and we're going to have some, some curriculum we'll be going through in Sunday school classes, all that leading up to Thanksgiving, the day we give great thanks for all that God has done and all the blessings that we've received. But we want to take some time to talk about generosity. Now, I think this video should tell you, if nothing else, that this isn't budget-driven. I don't want to talk about generosity because the church needs the money. Well, obviously, obviously, as our members give, we're able to do more, reaching more people, providing more ministries. So that is important, but First Woodway's not hurting for funds, so that's not the motivation of this. The motivation is that it's important for us as Christians to realize generosity, which is not limited to what we give financially. Absolutely it's not limited to that. It certainly includes it, but it's not limited to that. It's also our, our time and our service. Generosity is not an add-on to the Christian faith. It is the very heart of what it is to be a disciple. It's an open heart to God and to other people. That's really what generosity is. If you want a picture of it, think of the widow that Jesus commended. In our Bibles, our English Bibles, it says that Jesus commended her because she gave all she had to live on. Interestingly, the Greek actually says she gave her life. The Greek word is bios. She gave her very life. That's generosity. When our hearts are so open to God and to others that we give our lives. And in the bargain, we might write a check here or there. But it's about giving our lives. And so I want to talk about generosity. Very, very important in our day because in our culture, in our culture, we see materialism that is brazen and rampant and is completely unchristian. We don't want that seeping into us. Now, I feel like in a way I'm preaching to people who are generous, who in some ways don't even need to hear what I'm saying. But then, don't we all need to hear it from time to time? Don't we all need those reminders and that encouragement to have open hearts? So with that in mind, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Jesus speaks to this subject Luke chapter 12, I'm going to begin reading in verse 13. Jesus has been preaching town to town. There's a large crowd gathered around him. In fact, it says at the beginning of chapter 12 that many thousands were there. It says in verse 13, Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, 
and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourselves? This is how it will be with whoever stores up for themselves or stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. So this man in the crowd speaks up above the crowd, and he says, Jesus, I want you to tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He's angry. He knows that he's been wrong, and he wants justice. So he asks Jesus to intervene, and Jesus says, man, I'm not the judge or the arbiter who's supposed to settle this between you. I like that. Man. In the Bob Johns vernacular, it'd be, dude, it's not my business. But he says, man, who appointed me judge and arbiter between you? I'm not going to get involved in that. And then he turns to the crowd and he says, I want you to watch out. You need to be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. Now, I think we can be sure the man who asked Jesus to intervene did not think of himself as greedy. He just wanted what was his. He just wanted what was fair. But in truth... Jesus saw something else working there, something that works, well, works in the human heart. So he speaks to the whole crowd, and he says, you need to watch out and you need to beware of greed. Now, something I find interesting when I read this passage is what I've experienced in the ministry. And I've been in the ministry a long time, in one form or another, for nearly 40 years. And I've talked to a lot of people from a lot of different walks of life. And sometimes people have confided in me, and I'm honored that they'd confide in me. And when they share what's closest or most, most heavy on their heart, sometimes they confess their sins. And I've heard many people confess many sins. Just about every sin you can imagine, I've heard. But I can't remember in 40 years anybody confessing that they were greedy. Not a single person. Now, I've had some confess that their spouse was greedy. <laughs> and their boss, and a politician. But I can't remember a single person who said, you know, my real problem is greed. Now think about that. We live in perhaps the most materialistic society in the history of the world. And none of us thinks we're guilty of greed. Sounds like denial to me. Jesus says you need to watch out, you need to beware, because greed is subtle and it can insinuate itself into our lives without us even knowing it. So he tells a parable about this man who, he's a wealthy man, lots of land, and he has a bumper crop, and well, now he has all this extra grain. What am I going to do, he asked. 
He had no place to store it. What am I going to do? That's a good question. But he asks it as if he has a problem. This is no problem. This is an opportunity. He can do good with this extra grain if he wants to. I mean, he could take it and feed the poor. Or he could sell it and fund cancer research. Or support Christian missionaries. Or he could call me and say, now that you've paid off the children's building, how else can I help? I might suggest that he call Mission Waco because I'm certain Jimmy Doral would have a few ideas on how he could use that extra wealth, don't you think? Lots of opportunities to do good. But it's interesting, he doesn't think of any of those. What shall I do? I just don't know what I'll do. I've got it. I've got it. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And I'll store it all so that now, now I've got everything I need for the rest of my life. I don't have to worry about it anymore. Eat, drink, and be merry. I've worked for it. I deserve it. I'll just enjoy life now. No more cares. That's how I feel. This last week, I guess two weeks ago, in the office, we were talking about this big lottery prize. One billion dollars. Did you see that in the news? One billion dollars. I have to admit, I said, you know, I wouldn't mind winning the lottery. One billion dollars. I said, I can't figure out how to win it without buying a ticket, but I wouldn't mind. Somebody said, well, you could get your assistant, Letitia Dixon, to go buy a ticket for you. And I thought, that's it, that's a great, and I, no, I can't do that, because if she buys the ticket and it wins, she'll want half the proceeds. <laughs> I'm not going to share. Lisa Smyers was there. If you don't know Lisa, she's a member here at the church, and she's on staff. She said, you don't want to win the lottery. What would you do with all that money? I suggested a few things that came to mind quickly. And she said, no, people who've won the lottery, she said, time and again, they think it'll make them happy, and instead their life just spirals down. It's not been a good thing. I said, well, you know, I'd like to take my chances, and I laughed. <laughs> I laughed and said, I'm just kidding, which I was, kind of, <laughs> because... Greed really does insinuate. It's hard. It is so hard to, to, to deny that message that we get in our culture that real life, the good life, is found in big houses and expensive cars and, and, and fine clothes and luxurious vacations and all the other stuff money can buy. We know that's not true, but on some level, you know, it's kind of interesting. And so because of that, we do dumb things like play the lottery or work ourselves half to death or borrow ourselves into poverty. We do all of that because 
of greed. It's greed. Now, don't expect any of us to admit it, but so often that's working. Jesus says, watch out for that. Beware of that. So this man, he thinks he's got a great solution. He's won the lottery. He's going to tear down his barns, build up big barns, fill those, and he is on easy street. And God says, you fool. Can you imagine? Facing God, and God says, you are a fool. If one of you calls me a fool, I'll probably say, well, I'm not a fool, you're a fool. And the argument commences, right? What are you going to say if God says, you fool? If God looks at our lives and sees the values by which we live, and he says, it is a waste. You were so foolish. You had so many opportunities to live real life. But instead, look what you've done. That's a sobering thought. That's something to think about. Jesus says, though, this is the same thing that will happen to everyone who's rich in stuff but is not rich toward God. What does it mean to be rich toward God? Well, I'm not going to give you a definition. Let me give you an example. Because there is a couple in our church, and you won't know about this because they don't want to make any noise about it. They're not looking for any attention. But I happen to know. They sold some family land, received roughly a million dollars for that, and then turned around and wrote a million-dollar check to a Christian ministry that needed it. That's rich toward God. Amen? That's life. That's living. Not all this grasping, but giving. That's how I want to live, don't you? Three quick points, then I'm done. The first point is this. We need to watch our hearts with vigilance. We need to guard our hearts from the message of the world. A few weeks ago, Linda and I got to keep my, our grandson, <laughs> I should say my grandson. He is my grandson. That's okay, because just the other day, I don't know where it came from, but Linda started talking about this extra room we have in her house as my office. Not my office, her office. She said, oh, I've left it in my office. I said, wait a minute, when did it become your office? So if she can have an office, I can have a grandson. So Linda and I were keeping my grandson, Adam, who is two and a half years old, and we had lots of fun. But one morning, Linda had to go to an appointment, and so I kept him by myself, and we had lots of fun. Took him in the backyard, kicked around the soccer ball. I got a little cutoff club, and we worked on his golf swing. I mean, two and a half, you can't start too early. So we worked a little on his golf swing. We colored, we read books, we did all sorts of things. After we'd been at it for a couple of hours, we sat down and watched a children's program on TV. We had a wonderful time. But you know, after that and after watching that program, during the day, 
it just kept going through my mind over and over, and I thought, I, I've got to get this out of my mind. I don't want to be thinking this. I need, to, I need to get this out, and I couldn't. It just stayed with me the whole day, no matter what I tried to do. Kept going through my mind. Five little monkeys jumping on the bed. One fell off and, you help me, bumped his head. Mama called the doctor and the doctor said, no more monkeys. Very good. That, give yourself a hand. That's excellent. <laughs> it was with me the whole day. Here's the thing, something will get in our minds and sometimes it'll drop down into our hearts. The world sings its song and it gets in our minds and it drops down into our hearts and we find ourselves saying, ah, I don't care about winning the lottery, but actually, or I don't care about money, but well, it gets down in our hearts. We've got to protect our hearts. We need to see the messages that are, that are being sent to us, and we need to reject them. We need to resist them. We need to fight them. We need to constantly remind ourselves that we are Christians. We don't worship mammon. We worship God, and we serve him. So the first thing we need to do is to watch our hearts, to guard them lest the world's song starts playing in our head. Don't drink the world's Kool-Aid. Life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. Then secondly, we need to practice generosity. We say someone practices medicine or practices law. What we mean by that, when we say practice in that sense, is that that's what they do. That's their profession. And so as Christians, that's what we do. That is our profession. We are a generous people. We belong to a God who sent his son. He was rich, but he became poor, that we might become rich in him. And so we practice generosity. But as a matter of fact, when you practice generosity, it's taken it in another sense. It's something you get better at. By practicing, you get better. Well, as a matter of fact, we sometimes struggle with a love for things. I mean, let's be honest. I, I just don't know that you can live in our culture today and not sometimes have to wrestle with this. So we sometimes struggle with it. One of the ways to get free is to practice generosity. It is a discipline that runs against the grain of the world. I mean, can you think of anything more sacrilegious to the God called money than to just give it away? Can you? We need to practice generosity because as we give, as hard as it might be at first, as we give, we get free. We get free. And it gets addictive because as we give, we see the good that's done. And we feel free 
of a bondage that had held us for a long time. And we know that God is pleased. And if we gave and we're, we're kind of scared to give, we're afraid that maybe we'll have a lack in our lives. As we give, we see God always provides. And so it brings great blessing into our lives as we give. But the main reason for giving, besides just honoring God and pleasing God, is to free ourselves spiritually of all greed. It's really important. It's really important. I had lunch with a man several years ago in a little tiny restaurant in Mobile, Alabama. And his family was falling apart because of his drinking. We were talking, and he said to me, you know, I, I really don't have a drinking problem. Now, everybody else said he had a drinking problem. His wife said he did. His law partner said he did. He said, I don't have a drinking problem. I can quit anytime I want. I can quit anytime I want. But you know, people say, I don't have a problem with things. I don't have a problem with materialism. But they don't give. You see what I'm saying? That, that somebody can say, I don't have a drinking problem. Well, why are you still drinking then? I don't have a greed problem. Well, why don't you give? See, it's giving that marks us out as not enslaved to stuff. And it's in giving that we find freedom. So it all starts with protecting our hearts, you know, guarding our hearts, not letting the world's song fill our minds. And one of the ways we do that is the discipline of giving. And then the third point, and I'll admit this point does not come directly out of the text. It comes from my reading of Scripture in general. And it's my way of, of just bypassing all the useless discussions we sometimes have in church about percentages and where you give and all of those sorts of discussions. I want to cut through all of that and say what we need to do is to give as God leads us. It's really that simple. Give as much as God leads to whomever God leads us to give in whatever manner God wants us to give. You know, I think that if God's people, not just here, I mean across the world, if God's people would simply say, Lord, I want to be available to you. I want to give you my life. I want to give you my time. I want to serve you. I want to give you the possessions, the, the, the wealth you've given me. I want to give that as well. You show me. Lord, whatever you want, wherever you want, I'll do that. If that happens, we're good. God's going to be pleased. And that's what I'd like to say just, you know, to our church, that that's really, that's really all generosity is about. I mean, just let's cut to the chase. Let's not worry about all the things that get given center stage when we talk about stewardship or something like that. It's let's do what the Lord calls us to do. So something to pray about. It's just like any other spiritual virtue. I mean generosity. It's just like any other one. Lord, I want to love more. Lord, I want greater faith. Lord, I want to be free in spirit. I want to be a generous, giving person. It's all the same thing. Amen. Pray with me.
Father, thank you so much for how you have uh, blessed our church. Lord, it's your blessing and the way you have uh, just poured out that blessing on us that has enabled us to pay off a building that we, we built for the children and to fully fund so many ministries that are happening, Lord. We recognize that you're the source of it all. And Lord, thank you for those who've given so generously. But God, we want all of us, we want to be truly free in our hearts. Guide us, Lord, in how you would have each one of us to give, to give our very lives. Lord, we don't want to be bound by greed. We want to be open-hearted. And so work in us, we pray work in us. In this area, just like others, Lord, we ask you to work in us. Fill us with your spirit and let there be an overflow of joy and let this be one, one aspect of that joy, Lord. Giving out of the overflow of your life within us. That's what we want to do. And Lord, there are so many things that we're doing right here at First Woodway, but Lord, there are other there are other good works in this city and beyond this city. So many needs. Would you guide us, Lord? Guide each one of us individually. Guide us as a congregation on what you would have us do. We thank you for it. Amen.